Well, we have been talking about a challenging topic, and that is, what is the role of counseling skills in terms of the Christ-centered counseling model that GCI was based upon? And we conceded that we need to learn all that we can about counseling skills, and yet we have a distinctive approach that we believe is very important and worth defending and worth, worth developing. I used an illustration of preparing a meal, something I'm not very good at personally. But a, a chef, a cook, needs to have skills in preparing the food. How to use a knife, how to use the pan, how to use the oven, how to uh, identify the different spices involved. So the skills are like the skills of preparing food. But the model has to do with the, the ingredients. So in a meal, the meal analogy, what what food is actually being prepared. And we believe that God's Word needs to be the basis of our counseling because it is inspired by God, it is infallible, it's wise, it's true for every culture, and it has unique authority. So we have a biblical message, it's also a Christ-centered approach. And in Colossians chapter 1 we read that Christ is to be preeminent because of who He is as Creator and Sustainer, and if he needs to be preeminent in all things, I propose to you, and I think we agree that he needs to be preeminent in the people-helping process also. So then that, that asks, leads to the question, how do we offer this in the context of a culture where so many are not born-again Christians? They may not acknowledge the authority of Scripture. They have not bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ yet. And my preliminary answer is that the counseling process involves welcoming anyone who admits that they have a problem, is willing to acknowledge that you as a specialist, we'll call it a heart specialist, the spiritual heart, using a Christian frame of reference, uh, would love to help them. And so, if they're willing to come on those terms, I'd say that the first part of the process is very similar for anyone. First of all, it involves welcoming them, so they, should, they realize that you care about them as an individual, even if you have differences in religion. You hear their presenting problem. And so uh, you spend some time talking about the presenting problem. Let's say we're talking to a Muslim man who is having trouble with his marriage. So he discusses that problem. And then next in spiritual therapy, we take a history. And that may be an hour long or a little bit longer. Um, and in the history, we have a distinctive purpose and a distinctive method of taking that history. Our goal is to diagnose the S in the center. Remember the diagram of the circle? And you have in the center the question mark. The question mark represents, what is this person's source of living? What is this person's identity? What is this person depending upon to meet his needs. One way to say it is that the circle, especially when you have the S in the center, represents the self-life. Can you repeat that with me? The self-life? The self-life. The biblical term is flesh, but in a counseling reference we usually say self-life. And let me just erase the board here for a second. When we are taking a history I'll give a little introduction to this, maybe that maybe Thomas will share later. 
And taking a history, this is going to be something we can offer to anyone, and I'm going to call this the assessment stage of the counseling. We can offer a counseling assessment to anyone, and that assessment involves history taking. We've welcomed them, we've talked about their presenting problem, let's say his marital problem, and then the history taking. Well, as we take the history, it's going to be a conversational history. In other words, you as a counselor are going to be asking the questions, but it's not just going to be a one-way conversation. He is going to be telling me about his background. I'm going to be looking for some things. I'm going to be making some comments of, oh, I understand. Or he may summarize some observations. So it's a conversational history. It's also a chronological history. So typically you start at conception, or you may even start by asking about his parents, and his mother's side and his father's side. And you take some notes that you're hearing this story. So tell me the circumstances of when you're born. Are you the oldest in the family? Are you the youngest? What are your siblings? So you, you take um, a chronological history beginning at the beginning of his life, and you walk up to the present time. Now you're getting the big picture of his life. There's certainly not time to get a detailed history. You'd be there for uh, several weeks if you got a detailed history. But you wanted to get an overview, a panorama, so that you can identify the, the center of his wheel, or uh, what he is living out of, okay? So in terms of the, the, uh, the history taking, it's conversational, it's chronological, from the beginning of his life to, to today, but it's also, it's intentional. In other words, you're not just having a conversation and just letting the conversation go any, any direction. You have a particular strategy in mind. Now, he may not know your strategy, or she may not know your strategy, but you have something that you're looking for. And I'll just kind of describe this. We like to draw circles around here. And so um, each of these has to do with the, the issue of you know, what is, his, what is his self life? So uh, we'll just call this self life. And so as you are taking his history, you're looking for certain things. And one of the things you're looking for is the sense of what is his identity? So as you're hearing him describe his situation, you're asking yourself, Lord, you're giving a uh, quiet prayer to God. Would you give me discernment to recognize the identity that this man is living out of? Maybe he is... Uh, as men, often we identify with the work that we do, our occupation, our career. And that's good if we are enjoying our career, if it's respected. But what about if the person lost his job? Or he was in a car accident and he cannot work? then his, his identity is not working for him. It's very, very discouraging. But you want to discern what identity he's living out of. Also, what disappointments? 
What disappointments has this man experienced? Dr. Solomon has two books he's written on the rejection syndrome. I think they're probably in the library here. Rejection is the most obvious disappointment that people have in life. One of the things you can say to this person is that we believe that all of us are made in the image of God and we have certain, we'll call them ultimate needs. And sometimes I'll walk through this on the whiteboard with someone. I'll say, what do you think are your ultimate needs? And they might say, well, I think I have a need for love. So you might say, okay, in terms of your needs, there's a need for love. Everyone raise your hand if you agree. Do we all need love? Okay. How about acceptance? Do we all need acceptance? A sense that we are welcomed. So uh, that's a very similar term, acceptance. And so in Dr. Solomon's personal life and his counseling ministry, he noticed that the disappointments that were most obvious to him is that if there was a lack of meaningful love and acceptance, it caused emotional problems, it caused relational problems. And so he wrote two books on that subject. Well, we can help this man that we're counseling, Muslim, marriage problems, we're taking his history. We can help him understand his sense of identity. We can trace some disappointments in his life. We can help him acknowledge that all of us have need for love and acceptance. We also have a need for worth, don't we? Now, has this man been given a sense of worth in his childhood, in his adolescence, in his career? Maybe he has, and so he may be very well adjusted. Or maybe he failed his exams, or he couldn't get a job, or um, his wife left him. He may feel a very low sense of self-worth. But all of us need a sense of significance, don't we? There's also a need for security. Sometimes I counsel people that have been emotionally abused, or physically abused, or sexually abused. And when that has happened, that causes emotional problems. It causes relational problems, as we say in our counseling. So we're talking about needs. There's also uh, a need for belonging. Okay, so anyone that comes to you in the assessment part of the counseling, you can welcome them. You can identify their presenting problems. You can walk them through the history-taking process but you're doing it in a way that's conversational, it's chronological from the beginning of his life to today, the big picture, it's also intentional. You're looking for some things, like what is his identity? What disappointments has he experienced regarding his ultimate needs? Everyone has experienced disappointments, correct? But what kind and how severe have they been and how have they affected him? Another thing that we might look for is uh, how has he learned to cope? His coping mechanisms is a psychological term. Maybe he started to, to uh, take alcohol to soothe his, uh, his disappointments. I counsel someone who said that um, he was given strong drink just as a young child and he became an alcoholic later in life because it was promoted in his family. 
So uh, he may have he may have been told that everything that matters is how hard you work. So if a man is taught that everything involves how much you can accomplish and how much you work, if he feels that life is not successful, what is he going to do to make it better? If he believes that everything is based on work, what is he going to do? He's going to work harder, right? So he can, the, the psychological term is he can become a workaholic, working all the time, not resting. The Bible says God wants us to rest one day of the week. And God created three pilgrim festivals in the Old Testament for people to rest and worship. So, how was this man, how has he learned to cope with life? Does that make sense? That's something that's very significant. He may have learned to cope by blaming other people. We heard about that in our previous session. And so maybe he always blames his wife for things that go wrong at work. Well, that can be contributing to his marriage trouble, right? So, coping mechanisms. Another thing you might find out is what, what values. In his family, what values has he been conditioned to see our importance? Because all of us are motivated by what we value, correct? If we think everything is based upon how much money we have, then that's what's going to be the basis of our happiness. I'll only be happy if I have enough money. Or we may think that I'll only have significance if I achieve a certain status you know, in my bank account. So what values does this man um, experience? So these are some of the intentional things we are looking for and we're asking the Holy Spirit as we hear this man's story, Lord, give me wisdom. What identity is he living out of? What values are motivating him? What has he learned to do to cope with life when he is disappointed? How has rejection affected him? You know, another biblical term that we use is idols. Now, you might not use that phrase with him, if he's not a Christian, but who can give me a definition of what, what is an idol, I-D-O-L, an idol? Something that you hold on to more really than anything else. Something you hold on to more dearly than anything else. Any other? Than God. Especially than God. Good. Okay, so something that will take the place of God. So, there may be someone who comes to you, let's say he's a Muslim man, and he was whispered in his ear as a child that there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. That's, that's his cultural religion. But in his practical life, his idol might be his marriage, or it may be his car, or it may be his job, or it may be his favorite sport. So you're asking the Holy Spirit to say, Lord, what, what is the relationship or the discipline or the, the task that he is looking for to find fulfillment in life? Does that make sense? What is his God, small g, God? Now maybe it is his religion, but I, I have a suspicion that it probably will be something else. And then finally, another thing I'd suggest you look for is the issue of control. 
because self always is looking to control our circumstances to get these needs met. I want to control my circumstances so I get more love. I want to control um, the situations in my life so I get acceptance. I want to control what I can accomplish so I get more worth. I want to control uh, the people that I care about so I can feel secure in their love. I want to control my relationships so I can belong. Does that make sense? So these are some of the things, I'm sure you can list other things, but these are some of the things you are looking for when you walk through their life history. Now, our previous instructor was saying that one of the skills is to summarize. So maybe after an hour and a half uh, of going through his history, and as you identify these things, you may summarize this man's, the center of his life. And speaking of wheels, and <laughs> we draw a lot of circles, um, we, we find it's really helpful to use diagrams. And you can use the, you can use the, uh, the wheel diagram. And so you talk, talk to him about body, soul, and spirit. So you say, you know, if you were going to go to a psychiatrist for your, your trouble, a psychiatrist would assume that your problem is primarily in your brain. And is, he or she is going to be thinking in terms of what medicine to give you. But also you have a soul, and the soul includes your mind, your will, and your emotions. And, and sir, you've been telling me about some of the ways you've been thinking about your life. You were, you've been talking to me about how you've learned to, to respond to your, your marriage trouble. You were talking to me about how you feel about your marriage problems. But you could also say, you also, as a human being, you have a spirit. And through the spirit, you have the potential to relate to God. Through the soul, you relate to others. And through the body, you relate to your environment. Friends, everything I've said so far, you can do with someone from any religious background, because it's part of the, the diagnostic side of the counseling. It's part of the assessment. And many people, when they find someone that, that is considerate and caring, when they have a confidential conversation, when they talk about their problem, and when someone takes their life history and helps them understand what they've been living out of and how it connects with the, the emotional, volitional, and mental problems they face, you've already helped them. They're thinking, wow, I, I never understood this before. And what you're using is a biblical frame of reference, but because it's true, it's going to resonate. It's going to, to uh, have a sense of validation in their, their mind. They're going to think, this is, this is helpful. It's meaningful. Now, in, in spiritual therapy with the Christian, we can then proceed to talk about these spiritual needs. Now, with someone who might be from a different faith, someone who's not yet saved, we can start with the psychological part and say, I have heard you describe to me the disappointments of your life. Well, let me explain to you what often is the case, and you can go through inferiority, inadequacy, insecurity, worries, 
doubts, fears. Why? Because self is in the center. And you know what? He's probably going to say, yeah, this, this really expresses what's going on in my life. And so you're helping him by identifying that self is the root problem. This is still something we can do with everyone. And then we might say, and you know, the longer you deal with this turmoil without finding a solution, the more likely there's going to be uh, some stress-related health problems in your life. Uh, Sir, do you have trouble sleeping? He says, yeah, I often toss and turn. I, I have trouble sleeping because of my, my problems. Um, do you ever have headaches? Oh, yeah, I have tension headaches. Do you ever... You ever have trouble, you know, with uh, stomach trouble? Oh yeah, I'm so nervous. I, you know, so you connect. You let him know that there is a connection between what's going on in his spirit and what's going on in his body. You're you're able to do this with everyone. But you know what usually happens is he says, "Well, but what about this part?" Then we can say, "I'm glad you asked that question," and you can say that. From a, a biblical worldview, we believe that God has designed us to be experience His love. You go back to those needs and say, according to the biblical account, and the Muslim will acknowledge Adam, the Hindu person may be open to at least hear your, your belief. So you can describe that before sin entered the world, God designed human beings to relate to Him in intimate fellowship. So before sin came into the world, there was harmony with God and man. There were no marital problems, there were no troubles in the world, and there was harmony here. And in other words, you can start to explain the plan of salvation as a story. And most people, if you explain the gospel as a story, they'll at least listen to your presentation. And you can say, from a biblical perspective, we believe that God has provided a way that we can have our spiritual needs met. What are our spiritual needs? Just like we have needs in the self, we also have needs here. What needs do we have as human beings? We have a need for meaning, don't we? What is the meaning of life? Where have I come from? Where am I, have am I going? We need to understand our origin. We need to understand our destiny. These are spiritual questions, right? David looked up in the sky and said, When I consider the works of your hands, what is man that you are mindful of him? So people ask those questions. Where did I come from? Where am I going? What is the meaning of life? So we can talk about spiritual needs like meaning, Origins, destiny, and here's where Christ-centered biblical counseling will be seen as a specialist service. We would tell this man with genuine care, see up to this point, friend, I've been giving you an assessment of your situation based on the biblical worldview. I believe that God has provided a way for us to have meaning, and forgiveness, forgiveness there, because guilt is usually a key issue, right? Forgiveness, 
hope, all those things, God has provided a way for us to have those needs met through a personal relationship with God. And I can, exp- I can explain more to you the, the Christian hope and how that is fulfilled. But right now, you are trying to get your needs met through your version of self. And as long as you try to do that, you might go to a different counselor who can help you strengthen some of these things and maybe improve your marriage or or improve how you cope with stress. And this is where I believe we we would make a distinction and say, as long as you are willing to consider a biblical alternative, I would be happy to continue to meet with you. If you are not open to consider that biblical solution, then I'd be happy to refer you to someone who can help you strengthen your way of independent living, if that's what you want. Which we know is not the right. We know that, don't we? And But we acknowledge that it is his choice to make. So right now, I believe we have helped him very much by our friendship, by hearing his presenting problem, which he shared confidentially, by giving him an assessment, which is actually biblical and true, which he probably will not hear anywhere else. And so we get the accurate diagnosis. We show him that there is a spiritual answer. And if that is as far as he wants to go in the biblical model, we say, well, I'm very glad that I was able to help you with the counseling assessment. I do have some resources that I can give to you. I'm running out of space here. Um, So after the assessment, you can turn into what we would call a coach, an advisor, in the sense that you've given him, you've assessed the situation. So, in other words, you give a diagnostic process, diagnostic. Now, you're a heart specialist, so if he doesn't want the medicine that you would like to offer him, then what you can do is you can refer to someone who is a psychologist or a psychiatrist, ideally someone who um, is a good practitioner. You can also offer him coaching resources. In other words, you might say, Although my individual counseling is based on a spiritual solution, and it sounds like you're not open to look at it in terms of that solution, I can not only refer you to people who can help you try to cope more effectively, but I can also recommend certain resources that can help you in your marriage. Here is a book on how to have a better marriage. Here is a a DVD seminar on how to have a better marriage. Here is an audio CD on how to have a better marriage. So it's good to have a toolkit of general principles, maybe booklets or audio CDs, DVDs, that you can then offer to this person uh, as part of your lending library. Would you like to, to um, borrow a resource about how to look for a job or how to improve your marriage or how to improve your communication? Excuse me. So you're offering them coaching resources, but you are maintaining your specialty as someone who is a biblical, Christ-centered heart specialist. So that's my 
preliminary answer you know, to our, our friends who are saying, how do we offer <coughs> this kind of ministry <coughs> in a culture where there's so many non-believers? <coughs> but I believe when we can show them genuine friendship and we can have this kind of wisdom to diagnose their problem, often when you show them that real diagram, they'll say, <coughs> that's my life. They'll say, yes, that, that reflects me. They'll just leave the spirit part blank, except for intuition, conscience, communion. Say, you know, these are your spiritual faculties, but uh, deal with that last and say, if there was a way for God to meet those needs, and, and God could be um, the one who is first place in your life, and God can meet those needs from within. So show them, connect to Him that a personal relationship with God, the true and living God, can meet those needs from within. You're available to help them on that journey. You recognize that there are different different uh, belief systems, but this is your, your belief. And if he says, well, I don't want to go that direction, then there's referral and there's coaching resources you can offer you. But I, I propose to you, friends, <clears throat> that you can have two or three assessment sessions with someone that will help them probably more than a secular counselor who might have all kinds of good skills but is not giving them insight into the root problem or, or the ultimate answer. So you're being helpful and yet you're not compromising. You know, you're going as far as you can with the build of a model. Offering primarily the assessment, uh, offering a forecast of what a spiritual solution could do if he is willing to go that way. And if he's not, then respectfully say, well, I'm a heart specialist, and I'm glad I was able to help you with this assessment. There are some tools I can refer you to, and there are others who would counsel you based upon your work. It's also good to have stories that you can share with other counselees who have been transformed by God's grace. Um, for example, let's say he has a marital problem. I could tell him about the time where a man had a, a conflict with his wife and he pushed her and he was arrested by the police because of the physical fight that he had with his wife. He was arrested. And then he was released saying that he was going to have a trial to determine whether he would go to jail or not. He was released on bond. He was calling his wife saying, please drop the charges. And, and she didn't want to have anything to do with him. She took their five-year-old son and moved away, and he was trying to call her. And he spent much money on lawyers. Finally, he was suicidal. He got a gun, put bullets in it, and he was going to shoot himself. And he thought, well, before I kill myself, I'll, I'll just telephone some churches to see if anyone can help me. So he was phoning churches. And eventually he phoned Grace Fellowship. He came in. We welcomed him. We heard his presenting problem. Dr. Solomon took his history. After the uh, first session with Dr. Solomon, I started to see him. After the second or third session, God showed him that self was his main problem. We believe that one of the biggest tasks in counseling is to diagnose the root problem as the self way. He finally realized, self is my problem. My problem is not my legal situation. My problem is not my wife. My problem is myself. He was convicted. 
Then as we showed him the line diagram message, he said, I've never understood this before. And we showed him that he could appropriate, he could receive Christ as his life, and that could bring in fulfillment. And then he could have the ability to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And so he prayed to enter into identification. A week or two later, he got in touch with his wife on the phone. And wives have this way of understanding what's going on in a way that men don't have. You women have intuition, okay? So she, she said, what happened to you? She knew something had changed, his attitude had changed. And he described the counseling process to her. And she was so amazed by the change of his attitude that she came to Grace Fellowship for counseling. She had a different set of symptoms. She had a different presenting problem. But she had the same rejection problem, the same disappointments. And Dr. Salmon led her to the cross. And as she experienced the victorious Christian life, she was able to forgive her husband. Uh, A couple months later, he had his trial. And the judge saw how they had reconciled with each other, and he dropped the charges. A few months later, I, I continued to coach them and send them materials. They pulled into the driveway of our counseling center, and they got out of their car. I looked out the window, and they were holding hands, and they walked up to the front door of our counseling center. We said, oh, it's so good to see you. How are you doing? They said, we're doing very well, by God's grace. We just want you to know that we're so grateful for the biblical counseling we received at Grace Fellowship, that if there's anyone else that we can encourage and help, we want to be available to tell them that there is an answer. Amen? So you might tell them a story of someone you counseled, not to betray a confidence. Of course, you don't give them the name, perhaps. But just illustrate the power that God's Spirit can accomplish in a person's life. Give them hope. Show them that there is an answer. And sometimes you can plant a seed. You might have a piece of literature that is sensitive toward a Hindu person or sensitive to a Muslim background that presents the gospel in a way that's in their context. And I think that nine times out of ten, if you've taken the time to welcome them, understand their presenting problem, to walk through the assessment of their history and diagnosing their trouble, giving them a spiritual... Uh, prescription. I think nine times out of ten, if you have the right, the right uh, gospel tool, that they'll probably take it at least, at least consider it. Do you think so? I think by the time they have listened to that much, they will respect that. If you know that much about the diagnosis, maybe you do have the right idea for the remedy. So I think they'll probably take a book or something to at least consider the gospel. So I believe that there is still an opportunity to help every person, also to witness to them without twisting their arm to become a Christian, without misleading them, but to maintain our distinctive role as heart specialists. Does that make sense? Any comments or questions on that approach? There was another understanding that uh, when a person comes to the problem, to address that problem, even though we know that he has a deeper issue and he is not realizing it. So the understanding was 
if we ask, if we open heaven. So, as I understand what we are sharing, this process is giving an opportunity for them to be open, to understand. If they are okay to proceed, to go forward, they are not okay, then be a Am I right in that? Um, yes, in fact, except I would say, remember the skill called structuring the interview? Remember Isaac said that? Structuring the interview might say, um, when he comes in, you spend 10 minutes to get acquainted. You might say, the structure that I would like to follow is I'd like to take about 20 minutes or so for you to tell me what's going on in your life. Why have you come for counseling? So, after that 20 minutes or half hour, you might then structure the interview and say that the approach that we take <coughs> is that in order to best help you, we want to help you see that usually a person's symptoms, what they think is their problem, is actually a surface problem and there's a deeper root problem. I would like to take your life history and put your problems in the context of your whole life. You give them a structured interview, say I'd like to take a life history for about an hour, hour and a half, whatever amount of time you have available for that. You might say after that I would like to give you an assessment based upon a biblical worldview as to what probably is the root problems you're dealing with. And then we'll, then we'll consider some alternatives. So you've structured the interview. So, okay, he understands you're taking his history, you're looking for these things, and then maybe even at a later appointment, you'll have time to pray over his history, and then you will summarize your interpretation of his self-life. Friend, I, I sense that you're living out of this identity. You know, just kind of give him feedback. Help him to understand the context of what he's living out of. And you might say, my interpretation of your situation is that God has made you with a physical, psychological, and spiritual part. In other words, you then put the diagnostic in the frame of reference of body, soul, spirit, and a biblical diagnostic. You then... And then, as he understands that self is the root problem, you've helped him very much understand that there is a root problem. And then, as you describe that, spiritually, God can meet those needs from within. And if there was a way for God to be central in his life, then these needs that have not been met in his relationships can be met in God. And there could be then, then go to the Christ-centered diagram and say, we believe that through spiritual fulfillment, you use different terminology like spiritual fulfillment, then you can have serenity, you can have peace, you can have security. So, worded in such a way that it's, it's meaningful to him, and stress related health problems will improve. So, you're also giving him a vision of what things could change and say that we believe that that is possible through a personal relationship with God. Um, so, in your interview, you say, well, this concludes the assessment part. Now, in terms of the diagnosis, this is what I would recommend. You talk about a spiritual solution. And that's where you determine if he is open to consider a Christian solution or not. And that's where it either goes to referral or resources. So I think um, there can be two or three sessions that are primarily diagnostic where you're you're doing the kind of things we described, and they are being genuinely helped, and yet you're not diluting, you're not compromising, you're not watering down.
a biblical model that's Christ-centered, but it's in the assessment part of the, the process. You're also giving him uh, the remedy, but you're doing it in a general way that is sensitive to, to their, their background. Other comments or questions on that challenging issue? Does that make sense? That, that way to correspond? Have you done this to people who have no awareness about Christ from Bible or Christianity? We have done that. Yes, um, and notice that everything I've shared up to this point, I did not actually use the Bible or or talk about Jesus directly, but I was I was using a biblical frame of reference in terms of the presenting problem, welcoming them, the history taking, the diagnosis, all that. We're not we're not using the Bible with them, and it doesn't require them to have biblical knowledge because this is all diagnostic, it's all assessment. You then turn at that point and say there is a spiritual solution. Here's where you are testifying. You're saying, in my experience, you can even give them a word of your personal testimony. I have found fulfillment through a personal relationship with God in Jesus Christ. I have found forgiveness. I have found hope. And they can't argue with it, the fact that that is your testimony. You're talking about yourself, okay? And so you're giving them a testimony, and you're saying the counseling that we specialize in shows that the biblical wisdom addresses each one of these issues that we've been talking about. And so I believe that most of the time, because of the insight that they've received, they will want to know more. Especially when you're doing it in a way that's not coercive, you're not, you're not arguing, you're, you're being very genuine. Because they've received this wisdom about the diagnostic part of their problem, they're probably going to be curious at least to find out what the biblical solution is. And as you give them the biblical solution, you're sharing the gospel but in a way that's related to their ultimate needs. So this is valid for people with, without any biblical background whatsoever. But I think it's important to have tools that you can give them at that point. And I have some that I really appreciate from Good Seed Canada. One is called uh, All the Prophets Have Spoken. Have you heard of that book? All the Prophets Have Spoken is a, is a Bible survey written especially for the Muslims that's sensitive to their background, that presents the gospel in the context of the whole Bible. Wonderful. And there's another one, um, I think it's called, um, something about, uh, in his name. But it's written for the, the Hindu or animist background. Again, it's a panorama of scripture that's sensitive to their worldview presenting the gospel. So I would have copies of those books, which you could give at that point, which presents the biblical solution of a personal relationship with God, uh, but in the context of the counseling process. And I think usually they're going to be more open to the gospel when you're showing them that you have a spiritual solution to their problems, much more than if you just met them on the street and you were preaching, you know, uh, and they might have had a, a prejudice against what you were saying. But I believe that you, one, you have earned the right to be heard, and most of the time, they'll at least consider the biblical alternative. 
And then if they come to the point where they say, no, I, I don't want any more biblical answers, you say, well, that's fine, that's your choice. And I can refer you to psychiatry, psychology, or give you other resources based on the presenting problem that you came with. We have uh, incidents about Muslims coming to that person like this, the Lord is person. Get a solution when you are in opposition to counseling. In January, my wife and I were in in, uh, <coughs> in Turkey, and we were in a class of 30 uh, people, and um, 31, and 28 of them were born-again believers from a Muslim background. And they were there because sometimes they had heard Transworld Radio, sometimes they were shared, someone shared the gospel with them. One lady was there because of a dream that God gave her about about Jesus, and she became a believer. And uh, her visit to this seminar was the first time she had actually met with fellow believers. She, she didn't have her own Bible. And it was wonderful to hear how God was working in their lives, the salvation, uh, their hunger for spiritual growth. So I believe that there are many Muslims that are really open to a spiritual solution if we're sensitive and patient and just share the good news and let the Lord work in their life. One of the terms you might have heard our previous instructors say is unconditional positive regard. It's one of the secular counselors used that term, but I think that that's legitimate. We regard them as someone who is loved by God, someone for whom Christ died. We respect that they have a choice to make. We don't manipulate them. We care about them, but we also have a biblical solution. So yes, I think it's very, uh, a very wonderful way to help people from different religious backgrounds, but to do it in a way that's not compromising the biblical solution and the supremacy of Christ. I'm not saying it's the only model. Other people will have a different approach. But I'm called to advocate and to show why we believe that the Christ-centered model is best. Because it's the only one that can bring transformational change. Can you imagine any other man who was ready to commit suicide, you know, change so totally so that his, his marriage was restored and he said, I want to help others? Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And I think that um, since we have the opportunity to offer that kind of counseling, then uh, let's take that opportunity. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you for your attention.